everyone. Welcome to another episode of A Word About Wealth, a podcast where we tackle the often complicated world of money and finance. My name is Kevin. And this is Van. What we do here on this podcast is take a common sense approach to topics surrounding money. We'll do our best to define concepts, give some examples, and have a casual conversation to help everyone understand. Our ultimate goal here is to help you build wealth. It is important to note that we are not financial advisors, nor do we pretend to be. What we share on this podcast should be taken as general education and financial entertainment and must not be misconstrued as official financial advice. That is right, Van. Here we are. Another episode. How are you That's right. Man, we're good. Good. I'm, I'm happy that we're being pretty consistent now, Kevin. I know. I'm so proud of ourselves. Yeah, pat, pat ourselves in the <laughs> I back. Hope, uh, I hope all those people who used to listen to us um still have us in their feeds I hope so <laughs> and they're too. like or, hey these guys are doing something yeah or we can send out a, a mass email or something or <laughs> i know i know yeah. right? oh, gosh i hope uh i hope they they are well if you guys are good to good to kind of have you guys listening again absolutely well van i i know you want to share a little bit of you went to a, a very magical place i feel like recently uh why don't you share with us um and for those of us that, I guess, new listeners and old who don't know where we are, we're based in Southern California, and we're just a skip hopping away from uh, the magical kingdom. So That's right. Van, uh, I heard you did something for the first time since the pandemic again. <laughs> Man, that, that is another, uh, that we're gonna, that's kind of the recurring theme, right? So, yeah, so uh, my, my wife and I, uh, actually the family and I, we did go to, uh, we went to Disneyland uh, recently and you know, we, we had a great time. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, again, it just felt like normal, like, you know, it still felt just as crowded as normal. But, you know, the, the one thing is, I mean, I have to get this off my chest because, I mean, I, I know it's just, I, I am sick and I am sick and tired of you know, well, first of all, the tickets to Disneyland are, you know, more expensive than ever, right? So, you know, you're already paying a pretty hefty t uh, price tag to just to get in the park. But then, you know, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, Kevin, but there's like all these packages now that they're trying to you know, really just nickel and diming you. So, um, you know how they used to have the fast pass and that was like a free service that you, know, you just grab it. You just you would just grab a ticket or you would load it onto your app and then you just, you know, go into a ride at, at certain time periods and all that. And, you know, you can just walk right through. Um, so apparently I don't it, it, I don't think that exists anymore, Kevin. So now they have something called the Genie Pass that I think you pay like twenty dollars extra per person. Person, and it's just like a another premium that you have to pay in order to get onto these rides and you know to kind of rub salt into uh, into your wounds um, I mean the, the main two rides I wanted to go on this time around were, were the two Star Wars ride which um, you know which are the brand new ones that are out right and you know I'm a pretty big Star Wars fan so I'm pretty I was you know pretty excited about this but you know the, the genie passes they don't cover these so if you want to have priority passes to go on Star Wars it it's like an extra twenty dollars on top of that so it's you know you have a family of uh, I don't know like you know in our, in our case we have a family of four that's like an extra eighty dollars just to go on this ride if you don't want to wait you know a couple hours on right so I don't know I mean I I mean, I, I like Disneyland, but it just seems that um, it's it's they're just over, you know, they're just kind of really placating people who, who have money, <laughs> you know, so, you know, the, you know, it's not really an, an affordable uh, family outing anymore, right? It, you, it's like something that you have to spend, you know, several hundred dollars, if not like a thousand dollars for a family of four to really enjoy these days. Yeah, no, it, it really is. And. I don't know. Maybe they're just trying to make up for all the lost money that because Disneyland was uh, was uh, closed for a uh, quite a bit of time. 
um, yeah which is were. crazy here in california to even think about because you know we i know van and i take it for granted i think a lot of times because it's literally in our backyard um so we don't ever think like oh it's like a worldwide destination but it is right like people literally travel across the globe to get here yeah, so yeah. it's kind of insane to have it seen it close for so long but um but i'm glad you had a good time though i know i know uh, besides that it was fun right <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think it besides was fun the, i mean we, we were able to go on planning. like yeah i mean we were able to go on the um you know the millennium falcon right which is awesome like i mean we we got on there twice um you know once with the first time we waited an hour and then this uh, second time um i think you know people were just lining up for the um the fireworks show so my 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 oldest and i um what, what do we call her um heather <laughs> heather and i yeah heather. Uh, yeah uh, she, you know she, we her and i just kind of jumped back into the line and you know got in um got to the front at, in like about 20 minutes so that that wasn't too bad but yeah i mean we, it was i mean we, yeah we but i really wanted to go to this other the you know the the premiere ride um so yeah that's that's something we have to check out the next time around yeah well hopefully uh you know my our family or my family is going to be able to join you one of yeah <laughs> yeah or uh before your passes expire but yeah we, we, we just uh, gotta have about, your yeah we just have to have your daughters uh you know wear some tall sh- like some uh platforms yeah. so that way they can get into all the rides you know yeah there you go there you go well enough about us man uh, i think folks uh, are eager to hear what we are going to talk about today which is a actually a topic right van you said it's a listener request it was yeah about specifically tax loss harvesting which you know, again, I, I can't recall if we have or have not actually spoken about this. I, I want to say yes, we have over the 70 plus episodes we've done. But again, another concept that I, I think is starting to become much more common now, um, people trying to understand this. So on the heels of our kind of tax episode from last week, we thought we'd do one refresher on this. Um, seems like a good time to be thinking about it. People are in the throes of tax planning and, and all that. So uh, Van, can you, why don't we just start off with a, a simple definition? You know, what is tax loss harvesting and, you know, what does that actually mean in practicality? Right. So tax loss harvesting, it's a way to reduce your taxes by intentionally selling your investments that are, is, are losing money. So in general, um, you know, it's bad to sell stuff when, you know, it's, it's losing money, right? I mean, generally you want to sell when it's, uh, you know, you, you're making money, but in this case, right. um, you know, tax loss harvesting allows you to benefit from, you know, selling at a loss, um, just, you know, in, in terms of tax savings. Got it. Because typically, yeah, like you don't really want to sell a loss, but this is a, a way to balance some of that, right? To some degree. The thing is, like, you know, because, you know, the IRS does let you, when you sell at a loss, they do let you deduct some of that, but then... You know, there's also rules, um, there's some workarounds that basically makes it so that it's not really a loss, but from the IRS perspective, it is a loss. So I, I can go through that <laughs> in yeah, a so, little yeah, bit. Maybe I jumped the gun there. But um, so, yeah, I guess my next question would be like, why would you why would you want to sell at a loss? Because I was always taught in terms of investing, you want to, you know, buy low and sell sell high. Right. So why would you sell low? I mentioned before is really um, number one is really to save on taxes, right? So, and you can save on taxes on a number of ways. So it, it can be, you can save on taxes based on, you know, let's say you have other funds that, um, you know, you can offset some of the capital gains from other funds that, you know, are, you know, are profitable, right? So if you're going to sell that, um, you can sell uh, some of your stinkers to reduce the tax burden on uh, the tax bill for what you, uh, on your gains. 
And in yep. some cases, um, it also, you know, it also resets, you know, the cost basis from your previously purchased investment. So like, you know, basically it just, instead of, um, you know, let's say you purchase, uh, a, you know, something for a hundred dollars and then you sell it at a loss and, um, you can actually repurchase it again at a lower t- at, uh, basis at, let's say at $75. Right. But again, um, I will explain to you that, you know, even though it sounds like you made it like a $25 loss there, you know, if you do tech loss harvesting correctly, you there shouldn't be really any losses. So, I don't know. Did that confuse? <laughs> Did that confuse you, Kevin? I'm I'm curious. Well, well, I think that I think that theoretically makes sense. Um, but can, can you kind of walk us through a little bit of how we would actually do it, and maybe that that kind of sure. will help us kind of better understand. Okay. Yeah. So let's uh, let's kind of walk through this process. So um, just a couple of ca- uh, rules before I walk through. So one is uh, generally these are done in uh, with uh, mutual funds and ETFs. So um, do, do you know what an ETF is, or do, uh, do you recall what it is? Yeah. Why don't we kind of define ETFs here again for the audience? Right. So ETF stands for exchange traded fund. So it's basically like um, it's basically like a mutual fund that trades like a stock. <laughs> so with a mutual fund, like there's certain things where, uh, you, you know, you when you buy it, you kind of only buy it at the price at the end of the uh, stock uh, uh, trading day. Whereas the ETF, it trades like a stock where you can just buy and sell um, throughout the throughout the day because you know as the prices rises and falls throughout the day, you can buy and sell at that you know um, at any interval throughout the day. So that's that's really the main difference gotcha. there. But but um, but but the underlying uh, I guess building blocks of an ETF and a mutual fund is pretty much the same. It's almost the same thing. And so and and, and because of with tax loss harvesting, uh, you know this is generally only done through a taxable account. So it's not, it's, you don't do this in your retirement account at all. So this is just things that you're, it is done in your brokerage taxable accounts. So with that out of the way, um, I'm going to lay out a couple scenarios and how tax loss harvesting can benefit you. So let's say, let's say in this scenario, number one, I call it the sell by hold scenario. Okay. Uh-huh. Let's say you sell, you have a S&P 500 fund in Fidelity that has a loss of $2,000. Let's say you, you sell that, right? And then you, you take a loss of $2,000. The next day, uh, let's say you buy the Vanguard S&P 500 fund, which is basically like the same thing as the Fidelity fund, but it's just it's just managed by Vanguard. So the next yep. day you, you, you buy the Vanguard fund at, you know, at the lower price. And then, so at that point, because you had a loss of $2,000, you can harvest that loss at the end of the year when you file your taxes the following year uh, of that $2,000 from your tax return. So essentially, you can knock off $2,000 from your, you know, your income uh, the, your, the following that year. Your capital gains. Right. Exactly. The beauty part of this part is... Um, even though you sold it at a loss, you went back and bought like the same fund again, you know, but through Vanguard. And basically, you're not really experiencing a loss, right? But from the IRS standpoint, it's, it is a loss. But from your standpoint, you're still investing the same amount of money back into, you know, the same type of fund. So does that make sense? Right, right, right. Because you're not literally losing. Yeah, you're not literally giving out $2,000 to someone. You're actually... Correct. You're just essentially using the money you just bought. The f- that you have uh, and using it to buy something of a similar basically a similar grade le- grade level i guess um in terms of quality and and, and um, fund balance okay i follow uh why don't what's the second scenario so the second scenario is really to offset your gains so let's say you have uh, fidelity s p 500 that had a gain of two thousand dollars right and this is assumed that this you know just to be simple this is a long-term capital gain of two thousand dollars so 
Let's say you have an, you know, inside your portfolio, you have another like fund. Let's just call this a Fidelity Russell 2000 fund. So let's say it's, you know, in this case, it's a small cap fund that has a loss of 500. And again, this is also assume that it's a long-term uh, loss as well. So then let's say, you know, you, so you sell your S&P 500 at $2,000 and then you sell your Fidelity Russell fi- uh, 2000 fund at, um, $500. So you're, yeah, so what that allows you to do is you can reduce your, um, your gain from $2,000 to $1,500. You, you follow me so okay. far? Yep. Follow. So then, you know, when you sell your Fidelity Russell 2000 fund, you can go ahead and just rebuy, you know, that, you know, that Russell 2000 fund through like a Vanguard account. And basically, yep. and, you know, if you didn't do that harvesting, um, you would pay, uh, you know, if assuming, you know, at 15%, um, capital gain, uh, long-term capital gains rate. Without it, without tax loss harvesting, you would pay three hundred dollars in federal cap- long-term capital gains taxes. Whereas, because you harvested that five hundred dollars from you know from the other stinker fund, um, you know now you only pay one hundred fifty dollars in long-term capital gains. So, in a way, you know by doing that sell and um, you would uh, with the losers, you can offset the amount of taxes you would pay if you were to sell something that had a higher gain. Gotcha, gotcha, and, and just helps. So theoretically, if you had a lot of stinkers, you could reduce that to zero. Correct? You could, yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, like you know, and you're, you're going to go. Um, and the key thing is, you're you're going to go back and rebuy that fund again. So it's not going to be real stinkers, right? I mean, it's just it's like you know, you're you're basically still investing the same amount of money. It's just from you know the tax standpoint, you're just reducing your tax uh, liabilities from you know from when you're selling your um you know your winners. Gotcha. Okay. Well, speaking of gotchas, uh, w- w- there, there's got to be some some gotchas, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what are some things that we, as you know, if we are going to potentially do something like this, we should be aware of? Yeah. So the, the main caveat to all this is something called you want to avoid something called wash sale. All right. Okay. And uh, have you heard of that before? Sounds familiar. Is it a uh, washing clothes? Just kidding. What does it mean? <laughs> yeah. Not not really, but. So a wash sale is, uh, you know, it's basically if you can't, you know, the IRS doesn't want you to buy like a, a stock. Let's say they don't want you to buy Apple and then take a, uh, uh, and then uh, actually let me take uh, go back a little bit. So the IRS doesn't want you to sell like a stock. Let's say you, you have Apple stock and then sell it at loss and then the next day rebuy Apple again and then and then basically you know take that loss uh, you know and then file that you uh, that loss in your tax returns right because you know they don't want you to buy something that is deemed as substantially identical um, within you know so you can't buy something substantially identical within the 30 day period before and after that sale so in other words like you know in that apple example you know they don't want you to just, you know, buy and sell you know within that short period of time and then just take the automatic deduction <laughs> essentially because that's kind of in a way cheating the system now, right. what the way that the IRS that um, uh, defines substantially identical, um, at least in from what I've read, is there are investments that are basically issued by the same company. So earlier, when I gave you those two scenarios, I said that you know you're you're selling an S and P five hundred from Fidelity, but then you're buying rebuying again through Vanguard. So in other words, like you know. Um, that won't be count as substantially identical because they're managed by two different companies. But I mean, even though the underlying types of funds are probably very similar, they're still managed by two different companies. You know, they have two different fee structures and all that. And you know, they just have um, you know. So in that case, th- that's completely legal, at-, at least for now. Gotcha, gotcha. So in other words, you can avoid wash sales by 
basically sticking with ETFs and mutual funds because you know there's there's definitely you know a whole bunch of mutual funds that are very similar to each other that you can just jump onto <laughs> for other companies. So that, that's that's one way to do that. So this is why you cannot do this with single stocks because for, of that very reason. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. What else? Let's see. So then uh, another another thing is that you can only harvest short-term capital gains with short-term capital losses. And then you can only uh, harvest long-term capital gains with long-term long-term like losses. So in other words, like you cannot mix and match them, right? You have to kind of uh, harvest like like for like, not like, you, know, ap- you can only do apples and apples, but not orange and, uh, and apples, in other words. Gotcha. Uh, does that make sense so far, Kevin? I don't know if it's if it it's confusing. It yeah. Okay. No, totally. Yeah. Following. Okay. And then another another gotcha is as far as harvesting. So you know that in the scenario uh, one where I say sell buy hold, um, you can only harvest up to three thousand dollar limit on on a three thousand dollar loss uh, per year. You know, it's not like you know if you ha- took a loss of let's say like ten thousand dollars, you cannot deduct all that ten thousand um, dollars. You can only deduct only three thousand dollars that year, but. That said, though, um, the IRS does allow you to um, basically spread that loss for later years. Um, So that's something that you have an option to do. So if you do experience a more than three thousand dollar loss in you know in a calendar year, you can go ahead and you can spread that to the the following years. And I don't know what the criteria is to do that, but you know if you have a tax professional, or I'm assuming if you. if you have, uh, if you're dealing with this type of stuff, you should have a tax professional <laughs> because it's going to get kind of complicated at that point. So, you know, you should talk to this person to see, you know, how you can spread that loss uh, for multiple years. Got it. That makes sense. And then there's also, you know, with all this in mind, I talked to you about all the limits and all that. Um, the IRS, IRS, like, you know, in a year or two from now, I don't know, like whenever, you know, they can also change the rules and all this as well. So. This is something that I think is a pretty big loop or oh, I would say a big loophole, but it's a pretty decent size benefit for people who have wealth. <laughs> so I yeah. could see that, you know, if you have if they're trying to, like, you know, reduce, um, you know, bring more income into the into the federal government. You know, this is something that can they can easily change. So just keep that in mind that, you know, this is, you know, this is something that's useful for now, but it could change in the future. Right. Right. As all as is all or most tax rules um absolutely you know it's only as as current as the current tax rules and and to be honest that changes uh especially with each administration so so i I guess that makes sense van you know still i guess the question would be is this something you would just do yourself you know do you just do this kind of manually or you know are there folks out there that actually do help you identify which ones you know, because I could see potentially some people going, oh, I feel like I'm, I'm going to make an error here. You know, maybe yeah, it's short term, yeah. maybe it's long term. How does that, you know, any any assistance there? Yeah, I mean, especially like, I mean, you can't, I mean, you don't want to cause a wash sale and then be penalized later either. <laughs> right. Because you have to be very careful with that wash sale. Um but I would say that generally with this type of feature, um, it used to be a premium feature that was really uh, provided to like the, the, you know, the ultra wealthy and all that, because, you know, like, as you can see, it could be very complicated, right? Um, throughout the year, 
But right. I would say nowadays it's actually pretty widely available, uh, you know, feature. And you know, you could you know, a lot of like robo advisors like Betterment, Wealthfront, and Schwab. Um, they they provide this type of feature as part of their uh, incentives to to jump on with them, right? So it's just you know, so I think it's something that most like average Joes can uh, can t- uh, take advantage of. But I would say if you want to do it like automatically, um, you know, that that will probably be one of the better ways it goes through, through these robo advisors. But you can also do this manually as well, because, um, you know, but if you're going to do this manually, you're definitely going to have to monitor your portfolio like continuously, you know, either um, weekly, monthly or, or. But in some ways, you have to just keep looking at it to see, you know, where your opportunities to uh, opportunities are to do the tax loss harvesting and you know when to you know take advantage of all that gotcha. that i would say i personally wouldn't do that myself just because it just it seems like it's so much work <laughs> to do but yeah. in any case it's not it's not impossible it's, it is it does require some work and then i would say the, the last way is um really you know if you have an investment advisor see if this is something that they offer you right i mean hopefully they don't upcharge you as a fee uh, an additional fee to do this but Maybe this is something that they can help you, um, or they already offer. And if they already do, then you know, see if how this can benefit you from a tax perspective as well. So, you know, so I would say, you know, that third option that you can do is, uh, you know, just talk to your investment advisor. Very cool. So it sounds like there are definitely folks out there that can make you, that can help you take advantage of this potential tax benefit for you, um, assuming. You qual- assuming the investments that you've made in your portfolio do fall within the definition of, uh, I guess, a tax loss harvesting potential, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's just, um, I mean, there's a lot of, definitely these days, there's just a ton of options for you to do. Um, it's just, yeah. I, I mean, I would say it's just another step of more optimizing, you know, your investments, right? So I... If you think this is all too complicated and all that, I mean, it can be, and I don't want, I wouldn't say this is like definitely, you know, something that everyone should do, but I would say if you um, are willing, if you have a, uh, if you're interested or you want to try to further optimize, it's just another, this is really just another way of doing that. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, Van, I think we've reached our next section here, which is quick hits. All right, Van, I know we missed out on this last last time but i got two situations for you here and I'm hoping right. you can uh, just kind of talk us through what he should do okay so are you ready my friend i'm ready my first question for you or first scenario i should say is willie <laughs> willie uh, has two outstanding credit card bills okay follow me so far two credit card yeah. bills each at each with a 25 percent interest uh Dang, okay he has a hope he has a 30-year fixed home mortgage, uh, of which he still owes about 200000 on, okay? And he also has, he owes his buddy Avery 50 bucks. So his question for you, Mr. Mr. Van, is how should he tackle all of this debt? Interesting. Okay. So uh, how much was his credit cards again? Credit card bills, because Willie is, uh, is me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making these things up. Let's just say uh, his credit card bills are, you know, 2000 and 3000 but each at 25% interest. Okay, so let's say 5000 total, right? Yeah. Personally, I, there's a couple of ways you can do this. So, uh, but I, I would, I, I generally like the snowball method that, um, you know, the Dave Ramsey plan, you know, t- generally recommends. So 
what I would yep. do is I would list out all the expenses from uh, smallest to largest. So in this case, um, the smallest would be that fifty dollars. What was it to Avery, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then there's and then it goes to the five five thousand dollars for the credit card, and then uh, was it two hundred thousand for the home, right? So, I would tackle it in that order actually. So, um, you know, I would pay Avery first, and then you know whatever I have left over, I would you know, and then I would tackle the credit cards after, and then you know the home uh, after that, regardless of interest rate at this point. Gotcha. So even if Avery isn't charging Willie any interest, you would still get that paid off first. Yeah, I mean, from a mathematical standpoint, it would make sense to tackle the credit cards off first. But then, you know, if you're going to tackle the credit cards, you know, Avery may not be happy, or he may not be your friend ah, at, the, yeah, yeah. at the end of those Avery credit cards. Avery may right? not be happy. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Good point. Yeah, so you have to keep in mind, I mean, I, personally, like, I would say I, I like to, you know, especially if it's people that you want to keep relationship with, like, I think you need to put those people as a priority. But in this case, because, you know, if let's say if Avery's uh, loan was like $10,000, then... Uh, yeah. I would definitely, in that case, I would go ahead and tackle the credit cards first and then, yeah. um, and then, uh, you know, tackle Avery's, uh, you know, uh, debt, but, uh, or loan. But in this case, it's only 50 bucks. So, you know, you can knock that off really quickly and then, you know, um, yeah. you, you'll be, you know, you both be pals again, right? <laughs> at that yeah, point. Yeah, we pals again. You know, Avery was pretty mad at Willie for a while there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I like that, um, the Dave Ramsey snowball kind of debt snowball uh, approach uh, seems to be a pretty good approach when it comes to debt. Uh, Okay, Van, second question for you, or second scenario. I have a buddy named Larry. Okay, Larry just got a new job and it requires him to buy a car. With car prices so high right now and supply so tight, what should he do to make Mm. sure he can do his job? What is your take? As both a car guy and a finance guy, I thought this was right up your alley. (laughs) Man, this is tough because it does. It is a really bad time to buy a car right now. I mean, does he already have a car? Does Larry already have a car that works? No, Van. Larry doesn't have a car. Don't oh, rub it in, man. my friend. Jeez, <laughs> jeez. <sighs> Let's see. So, because if he had a car already, I would say just stick with his car and and then just kind of wait out. Um, you know, this this madness yep. that's happening in the car market. But if he doesn't have a car, or let's say it's been in an accident, and he no longer has one, right? Yeah. Oh, man, that's like the worst situation in the car buying <laughs> situation because at this point you have to buy a car. But even with like uh, with new, uh, with used cars and new cars these days, you know they're marked up so much that like you're just screwed regardless. But you know if you have the option to like wait it out, you know maybe you can get some deals with the uh, with the dealers. But if you need one right now, um, you know, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> unfortunately um what <laughs> think of it this way right because like you know if you need one to you need to get one this weekend like you, know, you basically you can't you don't have really have time to negotiate you don't have time to uh you know walk out and give let them sweat for a week right because a lot of these cars are just kind of flying off the the shelves because um because you know they're in such high demand huh man this is a conundrum i mean I mean, if he needs one, I mean, he should just go ahead and buy one. But like, man, just trying to negotiate as much as possible and cr- try to cross shop as much as possible um, on, uh, you know, on these cars. Because because the thing is, like, you know, a lot of even a lot of the used cars nowadays are worth more are uh, priced more than new cars now. <laughs> so yeah, that's why that's it's insane. just tough. And then and the new cars that are on the lot, they're marked up so high. So, I mean, generally nowadays, if you want to buy a new car, um, you kind of have to order one ahead of time and do all the pre-negotiation ahead of time. 
and hopefully you can get it at MSRP. And uh, if you can get that, like, uh, you know, when even if you were to order one ahead of time, it's going to take weeks, if not months for it to arrive. So that's why, like, you're, you're at, you know, if you need one this weekend, I mean, uh, let me ask you this. So what is Larry's time frame on buying? I mean, does he need one like today? Does he need one in a month or what were your thoughts? Man, I don't have too much backstory. <laughs> Am I, am I overanalyzing my, this? My story has fallen apart. I don't know what Larry's up to. Larry's a fraud. Larry didn't get even get a job. Okay. <laughs> um, let's say, yeah, let, let, yeah. Let me say. Let's say. How about this? He 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 needs. He hasn't. He's not. He can delay his job starting. Okay. Okay. So let's say. Tells his boss, you know what? I gotta get this car, but I gotta get him. You know, I need a month lead time. Let's say he's got a month. But he and and he does need a car to do his job. What would you tell him to do? Like if he came to you and said, "Man, what do I do?" What would you tell him based on your experience buying cars, as well as just knowing, you know, at the same time, you don't want the guy to go into debt before he even starts getting an income. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I mean, I I would say if I would check. To, I, <laughs> This is probably bad of me to say, but I would say, Larry, uh, you should probably check to see if any of your friends have a, a like a spare car, like even if it's a junker, yeah. right? That's that's one thing because that's good advice. Yeah, because the problem right now is even if they were to buy a used car and let's say they were to finance it, like let's say the car is like overvalued at like five thousand dollars right now. I mean, a year or two from now, like he may be way over under uh, underwater on it, right? So. Let's say this, put it this way. If his friends, he doesn't have friends that have an extra car that he can drive, then at that point, I would just buy a car, ca uh, you know, with, that I have cash um, on me because yeah. that way I wouldn't even, I uh, would not entertain the idea of financing anything. And even if you know, the car is like worth as um, overvalued, do whatever you can to pay a car cash. Even if it's like, you know, if you only had like $5,000 in your, um, you know, that you can spend, buy a $5,000 car, you know? Yeah. There you go. But again, these days, a $5,000 car is not, it's going to be a pretty, you know, I wouldn't say a junker, but there may be need some work on it to do, to get it like functional. Well, hey, this is why we, we, we ask these, these very compelling questions. Man. Thank you for always <laughs> taking the, the thought process. Well, cool. That brings us to the end of this time, uh, this show this week. Uh, if you guys have folks, if you folks have questions or have additional Topics that you guys want us to cover, please reach out to us at a wordaboutwealth at gmail.com. Van, where can people find more information about Self-Reliant FI? If you or anyone else are interested in having a personal one-on-one -on -one financial coaching session, please contact me at selfrelientfi at gmail.com. Uh, just like a pair of pants, there's no one-size-fits-all for your personal finance. And I definitely Oh, offer... man, he did it. <laughs> yeah. And I offer a free consultation session. So uh, there's really no risk to use. So again, uh, please reach out at selfrelientfi at gmail.com if you're interested. That's me clapping. <laughs> you can't hear it. But it'll be, in the, it'll be in the show notes. Oh, man. Hilarious. All right, folks. We'll see you later. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye. Oh, man. Oh, man. You went there. Love it. <laughs>